0: Good morning Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church and all those who may be listening to our service online. We're so glad that you could join us this morning. Um I'm going to sing a couple of songs with you, but I'm going to start out with one of my another one of my favorite verses. It is 2 Corinthians 12:9. Um this is the English Standard Version. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Um, I don't know. Um, I, I am assuming some of you are feeling the uncertainty and the turbulence um, that that a lot of us are um, during this time of... Um, it's, it's scary for us um, medically. It can be scary for us um, for the economy. Um, there's just, there's so much that we could worry about um, that I just, when we choose to put our focus on Christ where it should have been to begin with, um, his grace is sufficient and it's his power made perfect in our weakness. And to that I say, good. Good. Um, praise the Lord, because I certainly need that. Um, and I'm so, so grateful that his power is made perfect in our weakness. Um, so I'm going to sing in Christ alone. Feel free to sing with me.
1: In Christ alone. is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What No fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me, from life's first cry to final breath. grace you brought me out of darkness you have your promises are yes and amen.
2: Good morning, Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. Once again, we are meeting together over the internet, so welcome to church. As we consider these unprecedented days, I want us to consider and remember that suspending our services on Sunday morning is a very important way for us to express love one for another. None of us wants to come together and expose someone from our church to this virus and then have it spread into their lives and into their family. And so by suspending our services, we are expressly loving one another in this way. Secondly, we are loving our community. Same way, we don't want inadvertently to have someone come to our church and then go out in the community and spread uh, the coronavirus. So this is a way for us to demonstrate to our community and to the world that we, as God's people, are responding to this pandemic in a godly, submissive, and humble way. Now, I know that there are some frustrations that are accompanying uh, having to meet digitally, um, not being able to be together, Um, and I know that it's difficult for us to do that. But I want to encourage us that this is a wonderful way for us to express godly love, one for another, and to our culture. I also want you to know that our board and many of our key church leaders are meeting this evening to discuss plans for moving forward in April. So look for an announcement early next week on our plans for how we are going to move forward in the coming weeks. We all recognize that this circumstance has created many difficulties for many people in our church. Some of you are laid off from your employment. Some are facing the loss of your jobs. Retirement accounts have lost value. Stay-at-home mandate is a very challenging thing for families. Parents and children and students are working hard together to keep up on their studies and uh, i would probably imagine that both parents and students are gaining a greater appreciation for our teachers and our schools during this time so uh, but thank you for the extra effort you're putting in uh, to continue the education of our children there are many who are isolated and sometimes isolation can can come down upon a person and it can it can make them feel uh, shut, shut in and shut down in life. And, and that's a difficult thing for us to deal with. Many are maybe running out of goods. Many are running out of food, prescriptions. Pastor Ian and I are beginning, we have begun this week, to work through our church directory to call everyone who we know has a telephone number, to call them and connect with them and to see if there are special needs that are among our church family. And as we learn of these needs, we will take uh, proactive efforts to try to meet those needs and help you with delivering groceries or picking up a uh, prescription or in any way that we can help you, uh, we want to do that. So when we call you, uh, look forward to sharing with us uh, what your needs may be. One significant challenge that we have is fear. It's easy to let our minds run away with us. In that light, one of my fellow Evangelical Free Church pastors, Andrew Schwenk, has given his congregation three points of advice on how to deal with this circumstance. And I thought they would be very helpful for us to review as well. Pastor Andrew says, Use this time like never before to open God's word and take your time listening to the living word as it comforts your heart. Listen to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning with verse 16. Then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we pass on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Boy, that's good advice to stay immersed in God's word and listen to it and allow it to minister to our hearts. Second, Pastor Andrew says, Call two or three people a day and spend some time sharing and talking with one another. Let each other know that you miss them, that you miss being together as families, and encourage them. Sometimes just the sound of another human voice on the other end of a telephone line lifts up our spirits, provides warmth, and enhances our desire for community, even from a distance. And then, of course, thirdly, pray and pray often. Lift up the name of Jesus. Let God know that you trust Him in all things and ask Him specifically for opportunities where, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we might be able to receive God's comfort and then comfort others with the comfort that we ourselves have received from Him. This is not the first time in America that crisis has come upon us. It may not be the last. We have made it through before. We will make it through this again. As we enter into a time of prayer, I'd like you to hear the words of the Apostle Paul from the book of Romans, chapter 8. Listen to his encouragement. And then after I read these verses, I'd like to pray us through this passage as something that will help us and encourage us in our walk with him. Paul begins in verse 31 of chapter 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And then he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, or the coronavirus? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers... Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Aren't those encouraging words? And I encourage us to think about them and to remember them as we pray. Here are a couple of prayer requests just to think about as we pray through. Think about those in our church, those in our community those who are leading our schools, those who are our first responders, our health care providers, all in our church ha- family who are at risk. Let's lift them up right now and pray for God to minister to them and encourage them that nothing can separate them from the love of God which is found in Christ Jesus. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord that you have demonstrated the utmost care for us in giving us Jesus. And if you loved us so much to give of yourself in your Son, how will you not also freely give us all things? Lord, many of us are in needing of some things today. Lord, I pray that you would surround us with the assurance that you will provide what we need. Help us, Lord, to thank you for what we have and to trust you for what we need. Knowing that nothing can separate us from your love, so even if we do suffer, you will be right there with us and provide us your grace and and care and encouragement. Lord, I pray for our church family that we would surround one another as never before, that we would be sensitive to the needs of those around us. And Lord, we commit ourselves to serving one another in your name that the gospel may go forth among us. So Lord, we do pray for those involved in the education of our students. We pray for our first responders. We pray for health care workers all across the country. Lord we pray for those who are suffering with this disease as well as other diseases and Lord I pray along with the prophet Habakkuk in this circumstance remember mercy have mercy on our world, and stop the spread of this illness. To your honor and to your glory, we rest in your provision. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if we were meeting together in a corporate worship service, now would be the time that we receive our offerings and love gifts. Now, I know some of you are in financial difficulties, And if that's your situation, the New Testament tells us to give as you are able. Some of you may not be able to give as you are normally able to give. Some of you may not be able to give at all. The Bible gives us freedom from any type of pressure to that end. But there are some of us, perhaps many of us, who are well planned and are financially secure. Would you consider making an over and above gift to us during this month of April? When this happened and we began having our services online, my wife Faye and I began praying about how we might participate in the support of our church. And so we feel led of the Lord that for the month of April, we are going to return back to the church all of my take-home pay so that it's not a burden on our congregation. Faye is not able to participate in our church like I do, but as I'm here as the interim pastor, this is my church, and I want to do my part, and this is one way that I can express my commitment and love for our congregation. So if you're able, would you consider to make a significant contribution for our ministry in the month of April. We've got a slide prepared as you think about ways that you might be able to give that are going to be projected here. Three ways. Online giving, or you can give through sending us a text, or like my wife and I are going to do, write out a check and mail it to our church office. We trust that God will bless you as you give as you are able and even maybe beyond what you are able to the glory of God, the furthering of the gospel and the health and strength of our local church, Three Lakes EFC. Father, thank you now that you have promised to provide for us. Bless these gifts and the giver we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd like now to enter into a time of worship and singing. And uh, we have received permission from a uh, Christian singing group in the Madison area to project on our website their rendition of a very encouraging worship song that we all know. It's a song by Lincoln Brewster called The Everlasting God, and it's taken from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 to 31. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. What an encouraging, encouraging message. So let's sing together. And if you're not able to sing, just listen as uh, this group leads us in the everlasting God. God bless as you worship him together this morning. Welcome back. Let's dive into God's Word as I continue in my series of messages from the book of Colossians. Um, I've titled this series The Christian Life in a Culture of Religious Pluralism, and my text for today is Colossians chapter two, verses eight to fifteen, and my title is A Christian Error False Philosophy. Colossians is a letter from Paul to a church that was dealing with a culture much like our own. We are bombarded with a host of messages that are intended to give us meaning and fulfillment and personal and emotional and spiritual security. In the area of faith, America insists that there are many, each one equally valid to take us to a right relationship with God. In a recent Pew study, there is a suggestion of an interesting spectrum from one end to the other of religious faith in America. The first is those like us who understand and believe and accept the Bible as the inspired and errant word of God. Salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's one end of the spectrum but then as we move down the spectrum, this Pew study suggests and identifies those who call themselves spiritual. These are the people who don't necessarily uh, follow the biblical teachings that we do, but they consider themselves very spiritual in their outlook of God, with God. One we call the nominal Christian spiritual people. This would be Joel Osteen and his message of of basking in God's favor by a grace with virtually no accountability. Or Rob Bell with his doctrine-free biblicalism. On the other side of the spiritual people are Oprah and her promotion of all things spiritual with a heavy lean towards New Age theology which in my view is simply a mix of spiritism and watered-down Hinduism. That's the spiritual people. But then there's the secular group, and they're on the far end on the other side of us. These are people who reject the idea of a personal God. When the Pew study asks what their religious affiliation is, they write none, so they're called the nuns. They are those who are simply to be disinterested and apathetic. Then there are secular humanists, where are they all things scientific and man-centered governs their lives. And then there are the evangelistic atheists, the new atheists, Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris mode. And so this Pew study identifies groups all along the spectrum, and each of these groups in America is considered to be equally valid approach to God. And any voice to elevate one over the other is not only offensive, but it is becoming a voice that needs to be silenced. We seem to tolerate anything except a claim to divine truth, which of course is what the Bible claims. And so it's very important for us to know, how do we navigate a culture like this? Well, that culture was the same as the culture of the Colossians. And Paul gives the Colossians great advice on how to navigate that type of cultural environment. And so in our passage for today, he warns his readers about elemental spiritual forces of this world. And he exhorts them and us to protect ourselves from them. So let's read our text. Colossians chapter 2. I hope you have your Bibles with you. Join with me beginning with verse 8 of chapter 2. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world Rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and every authority. In Him, you were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, just to set the context of this passage in the overall message of Colossians. Earlier in Colossians, Paul commends his readers to continue to build on a Christian life that had already begun. He commended them for their faith in Jesus Christ and for their love for one another, all based on their hope for eternal life. Boy, that's a good message for us in what we're facing today, isn't it? I think Paul would pray and think the same thing for us. Then he prayed for them, that that they would continue to walk in the knowledge of God's will through spiritual wisdom, resulting in a lifestyle worthy of their confession of Christ. That's the way he would pray for us, and that would give us great courage as we face these days. He reminded them of the preeminence of Jesus, our Christian champion, who was preeminent over the entire universe, over pandemics like this. The universe was created by Him and for Him and in Him all things hold together. We need that reminder as we consider all the things competing for our attention. And He reinforced the truth of the gospel which is a story of how God reconciled us to Himself through the cross and imparted for us, to us, the treasure of Christ in whom are hidden the riches of the Christian life. And then he challenged them, and he challenges us, to stand firm in our faith, in the midst of our culture, and continue to nurture Christian life, receiving Christ as Lord, and renewing our commitment to Jesus. You see, Paul wrote to the church, not because he needed to, Help them begin the Christian life. Rather, knowing the challenges presented by their culture, he wrote to them about maintaining and encouraging the growth of their Christian life. But in verses 8 to 15 in chapter 2, which is what we just read today, he changes his focus. Now he doesn't tell us, maintain what you have. Now he tells us, protect yourself from the enemies, from without. He talked about earlier, stay maintaining and growing from within. Now he says, protect yourself from our enemies, from without. I'd like to help us understand a way to think about this by looking at some uh, pictures of a perfect lawn. Now these are not my pictures of my lawn. These are pictures that I pulled off the internet. They're free pictures, so I'm able to uh, project them with you. But last spring and summer, I did some work on our lawn, and I tried to get our lawn to look like this. Um, Our neighborhood is known for neighbors who notice each other's lawns. And so not only do I want to have my lawn looking nice for me, but I kind of am motivated by an expectation of our neighbors. And so... Um, we have a a landscape company come and apply fertilizer. Uh, Every year we hire someone to roll our lawn and level it out. Every couple of years we put fresh bark under our back tree line. And, uh, And then my wife, Faye, applies her green thumb to flowers and shrubs and getting our lawn really good. And last year we had it looking really good, felt really good about it. This year... We want to protect our lawn and protect the investment that we've made in it. And that includes protecting it from invasive weeds. I have a relationship with crabgrass. Many of you might know that. We want to protect our lawn from crabgrass, particularly um, weeds that might invade and spread. The interesting thing about crabgrass and weeds, they don't just grow, they multiply and they spread. And if they get a small hold in our grass and go to seed, look out. They have to be eliminated before they go to seed and multiply. We have to safeguard our lawn against the enemies of a healthy lawn. Now that might be a crude way of introducing this idea of protecting ourselves, our Christian lives, from the enemies of the Christian life. But it helps us understand that Paul is making that transition from, from growing what's already there to, in this passage, protecting it from what is on the outside. It's a warning. And here's what it he says in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and vain philosophy which depends on human tradition. Paul says, be careful of vain philosophy. Now, I don't think that Paul says it's wrong for us to study ideas, uh, to learn the different avenues of philosophical thought that have come down in history. I don't think it's wrong for us to learn how to think logically. Uh, Acts chapter 17 is a great example of Paul thinking about logic and surveying philosophy. But I think what he's saying is protect yourselves from allowing those false, vain philosophies from getting a foothold in your Christian life and spreading and ruining your Christian life. Like weeds and crabgrass will ruin a good lawn. Because he says, those things are hollow. There are pure speculative ideas that are out there that can come in and, and get a foothold in our mind. And, and uh, they lack intellectual and moral and spiritual value. They are also vain or deceptive, um, like possessions give you a false sense of security. Uh, don't allow that philosophy to get into your Christian life. It's, it's like weeds and it'll spread And be especially careful of what he calls human tradition. Now I want to camp here for a minute on this idea of human tradition. Because I would suggest to you that human tradition is what our culture is gravitating toward when they think about things in a spiritual context. The spiritual context of human tradition would include elevating beauty, as being significant, elevating intelligence, and being smart as something that gives a person significance. Or money, or intellect, or influence, or power. Uh, Who gets to make the decisions? And people want to have power and control, and, and that's elevated as significant. The thought is that the more of these things you have, the better off we are, and the better we can then feel about ourselves problem is is that eventually we'll meet someone who has more beauty someone who has more money someone who has more influence someone who has more power someone who is better than we are and then we'll feel boy I just don't measure up and we'll begin to be feeling not good about our we'll feel terrible about ourselves and so we try to measure up to all of the things that we see around us. We try to attain to the human traditions that are forced upon us. And of course, we won't be able to. And so Paul warns us, if we spend our efforts and time and resources trying to measure up, that's like weeds and crabgrass coming into our Christian life. But then there is not only the uh, human tradition from culture, there's the messages that we preach and teach to ourselves as well. Um, Dalai Lama has written a book. You know the Dalai Lama, the, the, the Buddhist who goes around and giving these seminars on spiritualism. He wrote a book called Beyond Religion. It's very interesting. The thesis of his book is that faith in God is not necessary in order to experience the qualities of life of kindness and compassion and acceptance and love and mutual respect and personal significance. He says we can we can find all these qualities from what he calls our innate human nature, which he thinks is fundamentally good. And he says religion is not something that uh, is a tool for those things. Religion is just a spiritual discipline. Ethics, on the other hand, is a non-God experience. And so in order to experience right ethics and right behavior and feeling good about ourselves in life, Dalai Lama says, look within yourselves, and eventually you will find what you're looking for. So his advice is, fill yourself up with yourself. We will feel good, according to his book, about ourselves, because we set our own standards and we learn to live by those standards, not the standards of culture or someone else. Now, there's a fundamental problem with that philosophy because we'll never, ever measure up even to our own standards. The pop artist Madonna writes this. Listen to this. Quote, My drive in life comes from fear of being mediocre. This is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, but then I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody... I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. But Donna achieved a very high level of success in the pop music culture. As a businesswoman, she seems to have it all. But when she looks to fill herself up with herself... She's empty, and she is always striving for more, and she admits she'll never find it. That's a weed that gets into our lives. That's crabgrass that ruins our Christian life. And Paul says, don't allow that human tradition to get a foothold into your life. But there's even something worse than what Madonna says We feel we are always superior ourselves is worse than feeling others are superior to us. We might be so full of pride and so full of self-confidence and so grandiose in opinions of ourselves, we're totally deceived and feel superior and above everyone else and then do immeasurable harm because we are exalting ourselves over others. Paul warns the Colossians that both of these approaches of self are dangerous and deceptive and hollow, and they're simply human tradition. And he warns us, be careful of them. Don't allow them to get a foothold in your life. I'd like us to turn to a passage in 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, please open them with me to chapter 4 and find First Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 to 4. This idea of warning us about self, um, self-centered self criticism and succumbing to the criticism and values of those around us, Paul is very specific about the dangers in chapter 4, beginning with verse 3. Listen to what he says. He says, I care very little if I'm judged by you, or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. What he means by that is, he says, I may be self-deceived. So what is it that he allows to judge him? The end of verse 4, it is the Lord who judges me. Paul begins his thought by declaring that he can't be held captive to other people's opinions. Truth is, we can't conform to those opinions anyway. We can't live up to the expectations that culture gives us. We can't live up to the, to the hollow, deceptive human traditions that are vying for our allegiance. Like Paul, we can't live up even to our own expectations. So Paul says, I don't care if you or anyone else judges me. I can't live up to those standards. So I'm not going to be held captive to them, says Paul. But then he takes his thought to the next level. He can't even live up to his own expectations. And here's where Dalai Lama And all the self-esteem gurus are completely wrong. Filling ourselves up with ourselves is a disaster. And so Paul declares, it is the Lord who judges him. While he does his very best to serve and to love and to teach and to lead, and while we should do our very best to love and to serve and to teach, and to lead. The only standard of performance that will measure our success is that which God gives us. Not what culture thinks, not what others think, not even what we think, but what God thinks. So let's go back to Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Paul says, don't get caught up on these things and not on Christ. All philosophy apart from Christ is false philosophy. Stated negatively, Paul warns his readers not to study anything unless we put it through the lens of the truth of the gospel of Jesus. Stated positively, he says, learn about the ways of the world Learn how people around you are thinking. Be a student of culture, but then view that culture through the lens of Jesus. Compare everything to the gospel. Everything else is weeds that will ruin a good lawn. So Paul's safeguard against our enemies in Christ is that Jesus is the perfect weed killer. Don't be full of false philosophy. Instead, be full of Jesus. Paul presents Christ and his gospel as a standard for all opinions about life. Don't be full of the philosophies and the elementary spiritual teachings of this world, which are hollow and vain and deceptive and only human tradition. Instead, be full of Jesus. And here's what I think is the main summary point of this paragraph from Paul. It's found in verses 9 to 10. The spiritual fullness of God that dwells in Christ is ours. And if we have Christ, we have the fullness of spiritual riches in him. Verses 9 and 10. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. When we have Jesus, there's nothing more for us to have. We only need Jesus. And then verse 10. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. The fullness of God dwells in Christ. Verse 9. And that hunger for spiritual fullness that people try to satisfy by conforming to the opinions of culture and religious authorities and friends or family or even ourselves is really found only in Christ. And that spiritual fullness already exists in Christ. And then verse 10 tells us, so when we believe in Christ, that fullness becomes ours. There's nothing more To experience. Notice the tense of this verb. It's a past tense. We have been brought to fullness. We don't need anyone else's opinion. We don't even need our own opinion. Because the spiritual fullness of God that dwells in Christ is ours. So don't let the weeds and the crabgrass of human tradition and any type of hollow and vain philosophy. Invade your life. Focus on Jesus, and he will protect you from the enemies of our Christian life. Paul lays out his argument in verses 11 and 15, and he begins in verse 11 by stating that we are already in him. This is a very favorite phrase from the Apostle Paul. That means that when God looks upon us, he sees us not in our sinful state, but rather he sees us as being new, as Christ has made us. Not as others see us, not as culture sees us, not even as we ourselves might see us. When we are in Christ, God looks upon us through Christ. And he gives us three pictures, and I'll leave you with these three pictures. The first one in verse 11 We are circumcised by Christ. He says, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you are circumcised by Christ. We have been circumcised by Christ. This verse refers to the old self. The whole self, ruled by the flesh, I think that refers to our identity. The old identity that we used to have or the old identity that the culture or other people might have of us has been cut away from us. And Christ has circumcised our heart and he has given us a new heart. As soon as we placed our faith in Christ, God gave us a new identity. Circumcised or cut away are the old things From this culture. A second picture he gives us in verse 12 and 13. We are buried, raised, and made alive with Christ. Verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive. With Christ, So here's that picture. You are buried, raised, and now alive with Christ. Paul here refers to baptism. I don't think this is necessarily referring to our water baptism. Although as you study the New Testament, water baptism and our conversion, our being baptized into Christ, are very much um, talked about together. Because our water baptism is a picture of what Jesus did for us when we were placed in the body of Christ. Picture a person going under the water, buried. Picture a person being raised up, given new life in Jesus Christ. That's exactly what he is talking about here. Water baptism is the ceremony that pictures what happens the moment we become born again. And notice in these verses how Paul says that's all happened by our faith in the working of God. It's not by works. It's by faith. And so the true picture that God has of us is that we have been buried and we've been raised and we've been given life in Jesus in whom the fullness of deity rests and who gives us that full identity and spiritual fullness when we place our faith in him. There's one more picture that Paul gives us, and that's in verse 14. Our legal debt before God is canceled. Verse 14, "...having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross." You see, when a person is in debt, there's an unpaid bill staring at us. We get a statement in the mail every month. And the longer that bill goes unpaid, the more interest is added onto it. It just keeps growing and growing, and the weight of that unpaid bill gets more and more heavy on us. Jesus talks about debtor's prison in many of his parables. He talks about someone who had a debt and didn't pay as being thrown into the debtor's prison. And he would have to stay there until the debt was paid. But think about that. If you're in prison, you can't work, you can't make any money, and there's no way if you're in prison you can ever pay the debt. So you just get one day older and deeper in debt, as the old song says. This verse tells us that in our natural state, the legal regulations of the law stand against us, and it's like the weight of a debt that gets more and more invasive into our lives. But because we are in Christ, because the fullness of deity in Jesus has been given to us, and these pictures that we have of being circumcised in our heart, of being buried, raised, and given new life in Christ, we now have that debt canceled. And we have the freedom of being set free from the burden of spiritual debt. Back in the ancient world, people would write on ink and parchment. And the ink back in those days did not have any acid in it. And so once a person would write with a quill and that ink would dry, it'd be very easy to take a damp cloth and wipe it off of the parchment. And because it did not enter in with its acid into the parchment, the parchment then would be clean. And that's what Jesus did to our debt. He wiped the ink of our debt off the parchment, leaving the parchment clean and fresh. That's the picture of being rescued and having our debt wiped away. Our new identity, our spiritual life, and the cancellation of all debt before God is a result of the spiritual fullness of God that dwells in Christ that has been given to us. And so be warned, as Paul tells us. Guard your Christian life from the invasive weeds and crabgrass of these hollow, vain, deceptive human tradition that are being thrust upon us all the time. In Christ, if you trusted Jesus by faith, so to speak, you have a perfect lawn. But there's a threat to your perfect lawn. So fill up on the values of God. Don't put yourself as the standard. Fill up on Jesus. Paul gives us a treatment. The fullness of deity is in Christ. And if you have Christ, you have all the spiritual fullness and all of the benefits that go along with it. And here's our guarantee in verse 15. Paul says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in the cross. The battle has been won. We need only receive it and make it our protection for our Christian walk. Learn what Jesus says. Meditate on what Jesus says. And reject, protect yourself from anything else. Father, I pray that you would help us to be vigilant and protecting ourselves from the enemies of our Christian life, that we may rest completely and totally upon what you have given us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the promise of your protection. We receive it today by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, and I trust that you are encouraged and challenged by God's word. As we close our time together, I do have one other suggestion for a song that uh, will fill us with God's truth. Uh, you can you can pick any song that you want to, if you want to take some time to worship God together. But I would suggest one that you might want to uh, go to YouTube and uh, and uh, and and call up the YouTube and type in the song "The Lord Is My Salvation" by the Gettys the lord is my salvation by the Gettys. here's a song that declares the glory of god under any circumstance and to focus on god's glory and his provision in the midst of what we are experiencing today as an american and as a local church i think that the sound of the, the words of this song and its melody will encourage your heart so god bless you as you continue to trust him for for your good for uh, for your life this week. And uh, if you have any needs or anything that you'd like to communicate to us, please contact us and uh, we will look forward to being together again next Sunday morning uh, via the internet. God bless you and know that you are loved. Um, we'll be praying for you. God bless. Have a great week.